This is the Relevant Life Church podcast, where we are about connecting with God, relating to people, and reaching our world. Tune in as our church goes through this week's teaching in God's Word. Relevant Life Church. Welcome online. I have the privilege of pastoring this church. If you're new today, my name is Pastor Kevin, and we had a great worship service this morning, right? Good to see all your faces out there, and we are thankful for that. Um, I just want to remind you once again, pull your attention to the 90-day giving challenge that has begun, uh, is beginning, and I want to tell you that we would love you to participate from the very beginning, but can I tell you it's never too late to start. So uh, as the Holy Spirit speaks to your heart, if you haven't felt that, that, that need at that point, at, at the very first Sunday doesn't mean that you can't sign up. We had some people coming back and going, well, what happens if I don't do it here? But I feel, just start, just start, okay? And we're going to be talking more about it next week as we come together. Uh, today, we, yesterday, if you were here, how many were at the, the uh, Armed and Ready seminar? I was going to say the fight seminar because it was all about fighting, and uh, we're kind of in that that fight motif, I think, right? Anyway, so we're glad that we had such an amazing time. Great, great time. And Paul, Pastor Paul, my brother, Paul, Paul, whatever you are, whoever you are, thanks for doing all that you did. Uh, today, he's coming to preach the message, and I love this because we've been in the fight series, and I, uh, I wish I would have been smarter earlier on to promote it in this direction, but he's just finishing up our fight series for us as we've been going through. Yesterday was the Armed and Ready talking about the fight, and remember when we made that statement, if you're not fighting, you're losing, and uh, today you're going to hear a story, a Bible story about if you're not going to fight, you're going to lose, and there was a lot of losing that was taking place in this story as well, but uh, Paul is, has been a pastor, is a pastor. Uh, he is a teacher. He was a Bible college president in Canada. Uh, he's retired from that, but he continues to travel and speak. And uh, he is a powerful, powerful teacher. And he's got a, a, a very common story or a story that we know, but he's going to bring some really good stats and, and perspectives today. Would you welcome my brother, Paul? great to be with you and to be with my younger, bigger brother. Uh, I am the runt in the family. I'm second born, but when they go from 6'3", my height, to 6'10", on the, and, and brothers in between, uh, that makes me feel small. So, so lo you're looking at the small one. In fact, Paul means little. It does. Uh, spiritual meaning is dependent on God. But it's great to be with you. I sure enjoyed yesterday. Thank you for those who took your full day to come out. My, that's amazing that you would take a Saturday and come and listen to my voice for, <laughs> for six hours or whatever it was. As we come into this message today, how many here have faced challenges that were beyond their ability? You know, and if you haven't yet, I'll guarantee probably by the time you reach the end of your life, you're going to face challenges bigger than you can handle. Personal challenges, it may be circumstances beyond your control. It might be a health condition that, that the medical field doesn't even know how to cure. It might be relational conflict that no matter what you do, you try to reconcile that relationship and it's just not possible to reconcile it. Maybe it's... A, trauma from a childhood experience and the emotional pain and, and so on that you're working through from that, the scars, consequences maybe of bad choices that you've made, it might even be addiction or some other personal giant. 
These things loom over us as things that are bigger than we are. And in addition to personal ones, there's also the global things that we face. Right now, there's dominating ideologies in our world that are trying to take over. Materialistic naturalism tells that there's no God. Moral relativism tells us there's no God and just do whatever you want and it's okay because if it's right for you, it's right for you. And we're facing secular humanism. Communistic socialism is trying to take over governments all across our world. Immorality abounds. Greed and, and lust for power drive some of our political leaders. And even with the reversal of Roe v. Wade, there will be over 70 million unborn babies that will be killed this year around the world. We're in a war. And more than ever, there's a war on our minds. Everything that comes at you is to somehow control your mind. Because if, you, they, if people can control what you think and the information that comes your way, they can get you to do what they want you to do. And this is coming at us. And behind all that, I believe, there's demonic forces working and instigating and, and erecting these ideologies and so on. You young people are facing giants I didn't have to face. You know, there, there were things I faced, but it's at a whole new level. It's at, it's at just levels today. Because of technology, you have more temptation on your phone than I faced my whole, probably my whole growing up years. And so you young people are, are facing giants at a whole new level. So what do we do when we face giants? What do we do when we face things that threaten to destroy our lives? How do we handle it? And I think there's some important lessons that we can learn from one of history's most important or most famous giant killers, and that's David. If we turn to 1 Samuel, we, just, we find out that there's a war there between Israel and the Philistines. And that war took place in the Valley of Elah. The Valley of Elah was located southwest of Jerusalem be, uh, between Azekah and Soko. And, and, and that, that place, it's kind of on the border of the territory between Judea and, and, and uh, the Philistines. In an airplane view, you'll see, I don't know if the slide is showing, but Gath is on the left. Uh, the Valley of Elah is there on the right. The Israelites were on the north of the valley, and the Philistines were on the south of the valley. And if we read in 1 Samuel 17, what we find out is that Goliath has been coming out now uh, for 40 days in a row. <laughs> and he's standing out there in all his glorious height and, and battle armor, and he's shouting a challenge to the Philistines, and he's saying, send out your champion and have him come and fight me. And the one who wins, he'll determine the outcome of the battle. And every time he comes out, the Israelites run in fear. The Bible gives a, a very detailed description of his impressive size. And depending on the manuscripts, because there's different manuscripts, Masoretic and, and Septuagint and different ones, you get different cubits. But the other problem is, is there's different measurements for cubits throughout different periods of history in different parts of the world. And so you'll get a range from 6 foot 10 up to over 13 feet. Most of our our Bibles are based on the Masoretic text, and I, th I think the nine and a half to 10 feet range is correct, and I could go into reasons why I think that, and I think it, it, would, it would pull those manuscripts together, especially when you're looking at different measurements for cubits and them trying to translate it. 
Uh, but just so that you understand that even 6'10 is pretty tall. <laughs> I, I wanted to show some pictures of my brother and I. And here you see a picture of my brother and I standing out in front of a Corolla that we, actually we used to own this. My son has it. It's got over a half million kilometers on it. It just keeps going and going. It's a 97, so it just keeps going and going. And he uses it as, as an A to B car. But my, so I thought, I'm going to get into my Corolla. And this is what it looks like for me and my Corolla. My knees are below the steering wheel, and, and it's pretty comfortable. You know, it's still a smaller car for a guy my size. And then my brother gets into the Corolla. <laughs> and his knees are halfway up. By the way, I understand he's watching, so shout out to you, Mark. <laughs> and, and here he is. For him to, ha to have his head below where he could look out the, the front, he had to recline the seat back, which actually means he's looking out the back window. <laughs> and so this is, what, 15 to 20 years ago. I don't remember exactly. It's, I think uh, Trenton was in one of the background pictures there, so however old he was at that time. <laughs> Uh, when it comes to his armor, all the manuscripts agree that his armor weighed 5,000 shekels. However, there were several weight standards for shekels as you go through uh, different nations and different periods of history. And so even his, his uh, bronze-scale armor could have ranged from 99 pounds to 159 pounds. And any of the modern translations take the middle weight and do about 125 pounds. But I, I know uh, Finnis Dakes, he goes 198 pounds. <laughs> Uh, so, but either way, uh, some of you saw my armor yesterday. That breastplate was 30-some pounds. So, so at 125 pounds, you're four times the weight of what mine is for my size. So this guy's big. His armor shows that. And then if you estimate his, his helmet and the bronze greaves that it says there is for his, his legs and so on. In fact, his spearhead alone weighed from 12 uh, pounds, 11 ounces to, to 18 pounds, 12 ounces. Some settle in at 15 pounds. Now, I don't know if you've ever done shot put. Uh, in grade school, I think it's 8 pounds. In high school, I think they jumped to 12 pounds or something. I doubt that I could get halfway across this room. <laughs> Can you imagine a spearhead weighing from 12 to 18 pounds? Then the weaver's, the, the shaft was like a weaver's beam, size of a, a soup can or Coke can or something like that. And so there's a replica of that here. Can you imagine the size of that and what it would take for someone to throw that? This guy's not a 6'10 guy. He's got to be up uh, in the height there. So, so some estimate that he weared, weighed, uh, carried around 200 and some pounds. Uh, Finnis Dakes goes up to 318 pounds, counting the shield. Uh, so I think we're in a uh, relative zone, uh, zone here. But regardless of his size, regardless of his size, he's massive. And he's intimidating. And he's, he, he's scaring people within the sound of his booming voice. His voice is so booming. In fact, uh, we don't know exactly what that sounds like, but Josephus describes giants from the time of Joshua, which is about 400 years earlier. And this is what he says. He talks about this race of giants that was still there. Their bodies were so large and countenances so entirely different from other men that they were surprising to the sight and terrible to the hearing. It would be hard on the ears. 
And he said, the bones of these men are still shown to this very day. Josephus was a Jewish historian who wrote about the first century. And so what we see here is an intimidating, massive giant who's coming. And he's so scary that even Saul, who's head and shoulders above the rest of Israel, runs in fear. Now we know, so at verse 11 of chapter 17, it says, when Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. We know the end of the story, but we, we would have, you know, would we have responded any differently? The problem is we always judge stories based on the ending, not based on when we're in the middle of it. When you look at your life and the, the giants that you're facing in your personal life, the societal giants that we're facing in our world today, are you dismayed and greatly afraid? Some of the giants we are facing are very intimidating. In fact, they're intimidating people to silence. And, and, if, and if you have any alternate viewpoint, you can't say it because you're going to be ostracized and ridiculed and, and, and shunned and censored. And so there's every force being used today, fear and political clout and power and money and, and so on, and trying to get people to conform to what, whatever dominant ideology is, is in place, whatever's politically correct. Now, once the scene is set, then David gets introduced onto the scene. So it sets the scene. Here's the conflict. So verse 12, now David was the son of an Ephrathite of Bethlehem and Judah whose name was Jesse. This is, he, was the youngest of, he was the youngest of eight boys, and he had eight sons. And Jesse was old in his days of, uh, of Saul, advanced in years among men. The three older sons of Jesse had gone after Saul to battle. They, they have already come up in chapter 16, and we'll see that, that they were all rejected to be king. <laughs> and so it goes through them. Eliab was the firstborn, the second was Abinadab, and then the third was Shema, and David was the youngest. The three oldest followed Saul, but David Saul, but David went back and forth uh, from Saul to tend his father's flock at Bethlehem. He's the youngest. He has to look after the sheep. He goes back and forth. He's not old enough to live away from home. In fact, we do know from chapter 16 that he's an armor bearer for Saul. We do know he's playing his harp for Saul, but he's back and forth. And, and, so, and he's called a youth. So he's probably a teenager at this time. And, and so we get some ideas of what's there. It's after he kills Goliath, Saul goes and makes arrangement with Jesse so that David can stay with him permanently. Now Saul and his men were trained and armed warriors. Saul had customized armor. Who do you think would have been the right person to go fight Goliath? Would have been Saul. So this sets up a huge contrast. You know, they had the how to fight Goliath. They had the weapons to fight. They didn't have the heart to. So here comes David. David uh, was not the most likely candidate. In sharp contrast, David comes along. He's the youngest of Jesse's sons. He's a teenager. He's not old enough to go to war because in order to go to war, you had to be 20 years of age. And so at least his three brothers are older than that, and maybe he had other brothers uh, that were in that age range, we just don't know, but his three oldest brothers go. And so, so David's likely a teenager. He didn't have the training that Saul had. He didn't have the armor that his Saul had. He didn't have the training that his brothers had. He didn't have the how-to 
but he had the heart to, and God would give him the how-to. And so at this point in the story, David's father sends him with groceries to his brothers. And so he goes to bring groceries to his oldest brothers. And when he arrives at camp and he's look, talking to his brothers, Goliath comes out and he shouts his challenge. And we've, we see this in verse 23. As he was talking with them, behold, the champion, the Philistine from Gath, named Goliath, was coming up from the army of the Philistines. And he spoke these same words. He's challenging them, send out your champion. And David heard them. And when all of the men of Israel saw the man, they fled from him and were greatly afraid. This is the response to Goliath. Fear. Now, I don't know about what giant you're facing. But if there's fear, you're probably facing something. Fear comes because it's beyond our control. It's bigger than us. We can't handle it. And so maybe there's something that you're facing that is intimidating you. And when David hears this, he starts going around, what's Saul going to pay the guy who kills this Goliath? What does he get? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine to defy the armies of the living God? Everybody else is running. David's out there. Who is this guy? Who does he think he is? He's defying God. He's an uncircumcised Philistine. What's he doing? And his brother hears this. Now this not only sets up a contrast between King Saul, who was big enough to go fight, but it now sets up a contrast between him and his brother. And we see this in verse 18. Now Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the man, and Eliab's anger burned against David. And he said, why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your insolence and the wickedness of your heart, for you've come down in order to see the battle. You just want to, you're just here in your youthful zeal to, to avoid responsibility and come and, and he's angry at him. And so what we see here, he was apparently tall and impressive too. Because when, if remember earlier in chapter 15, Saul was disobedient to God. And so God was going to choose a different king. And God sent Samuel to Jesse's house to pick a king. And the first one to come out was Eliab. And Samuel sees his height and his appearance. He goes, hmm, he would make a good king. And God says, no, I rejected him. Man looks at the outward appearance. And so he, so, so, so he thought, surely this is the Lord's anointed. But in verse, chapter 16, verse 7, it says, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For God sees not as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. See, and all of a sudden now, the, the difference between the heart of Eliab and the heart of David shows up when they're confronted with a giant. And when you face things beyond your control, I'm going to tell you this, it's going to expose things in your heart. And so what comes out of a life? He's running in fear like everybody else. And now because David's coming and David has some confidence and faith in God, he's actually angry at David and he judges David's intentions. And, and David's like, who is this guy? And it's not insolence and pride like... Uh, like Eliab is saying, it's faith. And it was misjudged by him. 
And so what happens in, in the chapter 16 is God goes through, it's not Eliab, it's not Abinadab, it's not Shema, it's not the next four brothers. And so finally, Samuel says to Jesse, don't you have any other sons? And God sent me here, and none of these is the right one. Oh, yeah, David, but he's the youngest, and he's out tending sheep. <laughs> well, call him. Bring him in. So he brings him in. And we see that Samuel sees him, and God says, this is the one. And he's anointed king. So God saw something in David's heart that he did not see in the heart of his brothers. Later, God describes him as a man after his own heart. I can't imagine how his brothers all felt. You know, oh, God, I'm not going to be king. I'm not going to be. It goes down to the youngest one. <laughs> He's going to be king. But God saw something in his heart. He saw qualities that were there. He, had a heart. he was a man of God's choosing, which is also a man after God's own heart, is the meaning of that. But also, he had qualities that God saw. So Samuel anointed David in the midst of his brothers, and immediately the Bible says the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. So David had the right heart, and he had the power of God. So here's, here's the thing. In contrast to Saul, in contrast to Eliab, their hearts were exposed by the threat of Goliath. What comes out of your heart? Do we have faith in God, or do we respond in fear and anger? Do we judge others, or do we go, hey, God, work in me to go out? Despite Eliab's angry rebuke, David keeps questioning. Who's this uncircumcised Philistine? What, who's, what's, God gonna, what's Saul going to pay the guy who does this? His brave words eventually get taken to Saul. And in chapter 17, verse 32, David, so, so Saul calls him <laughs> in. And here's what David says. David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail on account of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. Everybody's running in fear. David comes in, let no man's heart fail. You know, no one else has to be afraid no one else has to fear. I'm going to go fight this Goliath. <laughs> I mean, what, what, a, what a story. And so Saul attempts to give David his own armor. You know, oh, so what happens first before that? He's, this, I mean, his words already set him apart from all the other men. And Saul says to him, you can't fight this Philistine. You are only a youth. And he has been a warrior since his youth. And so then David says, well, hey, you know what? God helped me kill a lion. God helped me kill a bear. What is this uncircumcised? He's no different. God's done it before. So Saul says, okay, let's try on my armor. He tries it on. It's way too big for him. He had no experience using it in war. He didn't have the training that Saul had and so on. He had no experience. Yet David had faith in God, and he had a heart to face Goliath. Wow. He had the heart to. This is, what I think, probably one of the biggest issues we face in life is not the how-to, it's the heart-to. What do I have confidence and faith to face the challenges? Because if I do, God will give me the way. But I go, well, I, can't, I don't know this, I don't know this, I don't know, and, and, but if you run in intimidation, you won't face the giants that are there. So in the past several years, we have faced things bigger than we are. 
a pandemic and shutdowns and inflation and political ineptness and extremist and leftist ideology and government overreach and the power of big tech and censorship and any view that doesn't fit the leftist narrative gets censored and on and on. These things are giants across our world. And you can add to that numerous other things there. We've all been personally touched by these things in some way. And on top of this, many of you have faced personal challenges that you just go, it's too big. I don't know what to do. How do I face it? It might be financial or relational or medical or, or whatever, situational, vocational, spiritual. And these giants raise their ugly heads and they taunt us, trying to intimidate us and causing us to run in fear. So what do we do? How do we do it? Most of us don't have the how-tos. What about the heart-to? So how did David get a heart to fight Goliath? And that's where we're going to go with the message here as we uh, do the last half of the message. How, how did David get the heart-to? The first one is this. David was empowered by God's Spirit. We see this in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 13. It says, Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him from that day forward. We cannot fight this fight, in any fight, in our own strength. It's not by might, it's not by power, it's by the Spirit of God that the mountains are moved. In fact, 1 Samuel 16, 18, when they're looking for a harp player for Saul, a young man comes and he says, Behold, I've seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who's a skillful musician. He's a mighty man of valor, a warrior. Now, he's really not a warrior yet. That word can also mean mighty or manly. Uh, and, but in the context of military content it, or context, it would it'd be translated warrior. But there's no indication that he's done any fighting up to this point. Uh, and then it goes on. He's one prudent in speech and a handsome man, and the Lord is with him. Now, there's a ton of good qualities on there. But how many know his brothers were tall and, you know, other people could be good looking. Other people could be mu musicians. What's the one thing on here that sets David apart from everyone else? The Lord is with him. I want to tell you this. You can have all the great qualities in the world. You can be a musician and courageous and wise in speech and good looking. <laughs> the key issue is the Lord with you. That is the differentiator. Are you empowered by the Holy Spirit? Is the Lord with you? And I can tell you this. Yes, God dwells in you by his Spirit. It's not just Emmanuel, God with us. It's in man you dwell, God in us. God is in you. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Don't look to yourself when you're facing your giants. You're not sufficient. You need to look to the one who's bigger. You look at Goliath and you go, he's too big to hit. He's too big. David didn't look at Goliath. He looked at God and he says, Goliath's bigger than I am, but man, the earth is no more than God's footstool. <laughs> God's way bigger than Goliath. He just needs to take his little finger and go, no. <laughs> You know, whatever it is, he, he put things in perspective. He didn't see Goliath as too big to hit. He was too big to miss. So as you face your personal giants, you need to be filled and empowered with the Holy Spirit. God is with us. 
We need to know that who we are in Christ, and we need to be continually yield. It's not some experience I had 30, 20, 10, 5 years ago. It's be being filled. I have to be filled now and surrendered to the Spirit. The second thing is, David looked at God's past faithfulness. We see this in verse 36 and 37. When he went to Saul, he said, Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, since he has taunted the armies of the living God. And David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to him, God, and may, go and may the Lord be with you. You know, he's saying, okay, you think God is going to do that for you? Go, God be with you, <laughs> you know. So here it is. We don't know how David killed the lion and the bear. But David attributes God with the ability to do that. And I'm going to tell you, before you face your giant, God's going to send a lion, he's going to send a bear. He's going to prepare you and equip you. And, and he's going to show you, I can do it here and I can do it here. So that when you face that, you know he can do it there. Does that make sense? And so, so when you review the record of Scripture, so one of the things that's helped me, and even the children of Israel at different periods of history, they would recount to the children of Israel all the things that God had done, how they took them through the Red Sea and how he provided manna in the wilderness and so on. And it's really good for us to go back and say, God did this, God did this, God did this. This is the same God today as always been. You know the song, God can do it again and again and again. And I think it's important for you to go back even in your own personal history and look at times when God answered your prayers. Times when God helped you overcome a particular sin. Or God provided for your needs. Or he healed you or someone that you know. Or he gave you grace and strength to carry on. Or he gave you wisdom that you needed. Or he opened up an opportunity for you. Whatever it is, you go back and you look, God, you did it then. You did it then. I don't know how you're going to do it now. But you're not trusting in yourself. You're reviewing your history of God's faithfulness. And if you don't have much, go to the Bible and start reviewing that history. The third thing is, David knew God's covenant promises. You say, well, where do you get that? Several times in this passage, he says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should taunt the armies of the living God? And he says, this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them since he's taunted the armies of the living God. Do you get the picture here? You see, circumcision was the sign of Abraham's covenant. Circumcision was the sign that you belong to God's covenant family. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? And so what he's looking at here, that came with promises. The Abrahamic covenant came with promises. It came with the promise of the land. God has given us this land. That covenant was reiterated in Deuteronomy. The Lord shall cause your enemies to rise up against you and to be defeated before you. They will come out against you one way and will flee before you in seven ways. This uncircumcised Philistine was not part of God's covenant people. He was an idolater. And he's taunting the armies of the only living God. So who's he going to be? We're God's people. Why are you letting him taunt you? 
Where's your faith? What promises has he given you? You know, you're people of covenant. It's called the new covenant. Jesus said, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. He'll provide all your needs. God's wiser. God is bigger. God is richer. God has more love than your giant will ever need. The fourth thing is David used what he had. God often used what people had. Moses had a, a staff and it became the staff of God. Jael used a tent peg. Shamgar used an ox goat, a prodding stick. A boy gave his lunch. David used a sling. He could not use Saul's armor. He knew how to use a sling. In fact, in those days, it was a weapon of war. Israelites talks about men of Benjamin, 700 choice men who could show, throw a uh, sling a stone at a hare, not a rabbit, a hare, and not miss. They were accurate. So David had experience with that. What experience do you have? Maybe you're a cook. Maybe you're a writer. Maybe you can talk. Maybe you can draw. Use what God is, I don't know what God's going to use. And finally, David faced his fears with faith in the Lord. Here's David, humanly alone, going out, approaching Goliath. The army's behind him. He's going out to face this giant. An inexperienced youth against an experienced warrior. Champion against champion. And Goliath approaches with his shield bearer in front of him. He's armed to the hilt. He's got enough protection to stop anything, it seems like. And he comes to David and he says, Am I a dog that you should come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his God. He's not swearing. He's cursing David by the names of his gods. He's wanting to, to see him damned. And he says, Come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the sky and the beasts of the field. You know, fee fi fo fam. I want the blood of a Jewish man. <laughs> you know. And he's just like, wow, this giant is coming at him. And there are things that you're facing that might be looming large on you, and they're trying to intimidate you and curse you and throw you, to cast you down, to turn you from God. Satan comes around like a roaring lion. He's seeking to devour you. But you resist him firm in the faith. Because David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and a spear and a javelin. Now we know he has a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have taunted. You're, you're playing with fire, buddy. I'm coming to you. I'm coming in the authority as a representation of the God of, of, of the armies of Israel. And this day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I will strike you down. And I will remove your head from you, and I will give the dead bodies of the armies of the Philistine this day to the birds of the sky and the wild beasts of the earth, and all the, that all the earth may know there's a God in Israel. See, David's not going out there for himself. He's going out there for God. And that all this assembly may know that the Lord does not deliver by sword or by spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. You come with all of this weapon. You say to your giant, you come in your might and your size and your power. 
You come against me with lies. You come against me with ridicule and discouragement. You come against me with temptation. You come against me with betrayal. You come against me with sickness. Or you come against me with cancer or, or, or whatever trouble it is. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. This name is used for God 261 times in the Bible. It's the, he's the Lord of armies. You think you're something? My God is over all the, the heavenly armies as well. He's the Lord of armies. Some trust in chariots, some trust in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. He's coming in the authority and as a representative of the Lord. He's part of God's covenant people. The Lord will deliver you into my hands. I want to tell you, when we go into this world, Jesus said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go in my name and preach, make disciples. In my name, you will lay your hands on the sick. In my name, you will cast out demons. We don't come in our own authority when we bring the ministry of Christ to this world. There's power in the name of Jesus. That's, and so he came in the name of the Lord with this plan. He says, I'm going to take your head from you. He knew what he was going to do. He didn't have a sword. He was going to use Goliath's sword, and that's exactly what did what he did. God gave him the how-to. The spirit of David, I think, is seen in one of our current movies, The Lord of the Rings. And it's when Gandalf faces the Balrog. And he stands before the Balrog, and he holds up his staff. And he says, you shall not pass. And I want to tell you, I think we need some of that spirit of boldness. We need to have faith to stand against our giants, to fight in prayer. Devil, you will not have my life. Devil, you will not have my future. Devil, you will not defeat me with sin. Devil, you will not have my children. Devil, you will not have my marriage. Devil, you will not defeat me through addiction. Devil, you will not intimidate me into silence and fear. Devil, you will not destroy our church. Whatever it is, you shall not pass. And there's something we need of the spirit of David and the spirit of Gandalf <laughs> that rises up and says, we're going to fight. No, I'm not talking about cruelty. I'm, not ta I'm talking about a spirit a faith that resists evil. The Bible says the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. We have a, we live, we walk in victory. I don't know what giant you're facing today, but I want to tell you this, God is bigger than your giant. God is bigger than the challenges you're facing. And you know what? In the natural your Goliath is bigger than you, but he's not bigger than God. And not my prayer is that God will do something in your heart and say, give me a spirit to go out and face that rather than to run in fear. Amen. I'm going to turn it over to Kevin. Round of applause this morning. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I want to ask you this morning, who here is fighting a giant bigger than you? Come on, be bold. Would you just stand to your feet this morning? If you're here and you're fighting a giant that is bigger than you, 
a giant that is intimidating, a giant that is causing fear, a giant that's causing insecurity. Today we've heard an amazing story that it's not you that's battling, it's God that's battling. How many, how many can reach to God and say, God, I need you to battle this for me? Can I tell you, across this room, there are so many that are represented. Come on, lift your hands. God, today we come. God, we come out of need. God, we come, we don't just need the how-to, we need the heart-to. And God, those who are here today, I bind a spirit of intimidation. I bind a spirit of fear. God, in the name of Jesus, God, I pray for hearts that want to, hearts that will. God, hearts that step forward to be the, the man, the woman that you've called them to be. God, today we ask in the name of Jesus, God, for a boldness, for a, God, recreate. Listen, I, I just sense in my spirit, God, would you recreate a right heart in me? Say that with me. God, recreate a right heart within me. God, would you give boldness? Would you give courage? God, would you give strength? God, would you give faith? God, not that we can do it in ourselves, but God, we are dependent on you. Say, God, I need you. Come on, God, we need you today. And God, I pray by the power of your spirit, God, that you would you would pour out strength. God, as we, uh, as we truly come to the end of this series of fight, God, what a way to end it. God, I pray. God, would you empower today by your spirit in the name of Jesus Christ. God, I'm excited because I believe that there are victories that are going to come out of this service today. There are victories that are going to come out of a result of what we've heard this morning. And God, we are fighters. And God, we will win in the name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen, amen. Our prayer team, it looks like one of them has come, but our prayer team is coming right now that they can pray with you. We believe in the power of prayer. Maybe you need someone to join your faith, and they're going to, and would you come and let them pray for you? Maybe you want to uh, share with them the battle, the fight that you're in. And, and they will pray with you in that, and then and down that avenue. To next Sunday, we start a brand new series. We want you to be here to be present. And would you would you be faithful? Make sure you greet someone on the way out. Greet someone that you don't know. Maybe someone from a different age group. That would be fantastic, right? Everyone needs to everyone needs to know they're loved. Amen. God bless you. Have a great. Week. Here at Relevant Life Church, it's our mission to see people connect with God, relate to one another, and reach our world. This single statement drives everything we do as a church. Our hope is that today you were encouraged in this. Thank you for joining us and have a blessed day.